Welcome to the Elevate Orthodontics podcast with Dr. Lance Miller. Each week, we bring you interviews with the top minds in the orthodontic profession in order to heighten your expertise, boost your motivation, and raise your skills. Join us as we help doctors take their practices and their lives to the next level. And now, here's your host, Dr. Lance Miller. Welcome to the Elevate Orthodontics Podcast. I'm Dr. Lance Miller. It's a privilege to have you with us this week. I'm excited for this episode to bring one of my good friends on the show, Dr. Kervin Mack, and ask him some questions. This is an interview that I've been looking forward to for a long time, and one thing that Dr. Mack and I share is our love of North Carolina basketball. Of course, we're in tournament time. I'm recording this on Sunday afternoon right before the Tar Heels play Texas Tech. So we're hoping that by the time you guys are hearing this, we're through to the Sweet 16. If not, you'll hear me complaining about it on next week's podcast. But before we get into the interview, I'd like to draw attention to an article published this week on the White Coat Investor blog. And the article is titled, The Best Path to Wealth is Offense, Defense, Offense. And in this case, offense refers to earning money and defense refers to controlling spending or your investment fees or making investment mistakes, those sorts of things. And I really like this article because it talks about how to focus on what is most important for our financial success and the fact that this can be different for each of us depending on where we are in our career. Dr. Jim Dolly, the author of the blog, begins by talking about offense. And with the exception, perhaps, of those with large inheritances, most of us start out with nothing. So in order to get things moving financially, we have to invest in our ability to earn an income. Orthodontists are masters of this step of delayed gratification, spending a decade or more in school, developing their financial offensive skills. And if you're still in training, the most important thing in your financial life is completing your education and securing a license to practice orthodontics. After your working career begins and you start earning an orthodontist salary, it's then important to learn to play a good defensive game. And this is where many doctors get tripped up. In Dr. Dolly's words, quote, defense means to quit doing dumb stuff with your money, end quote. Make sure you have a plan for savings and debt reduction. Ensure you have adequate but not excessive insurance, have a plan for taxes, and invest in a prudent and low-cost manner. Mistakes on defense have derailed many doctors in their quest for financial independence. However, once a solid financial plan is in place, we need to again turn our attention to offense if our goal is to maximize our financial success. There's only so much defense that can be played, only so much we can cut from our family budget, or only so much we can save on investment fees. After a point, fine-tuning your investment allocation also has a decreasing marginal utility, and perhaps even a negative return when behavioral factors are considered. So at this third stage, this is what I loved about this article, after we have a solid financial plan in place, we need to stop tinkering and return our attention to offense. Dr. Dolly refers to this as pouring more money into the funnel. For some, this may involve second jobs or side businesses, real estate, or some other entrepreneurial affair. But for most of us orthodontists, the opportunity to improve our offensive game exists right within our own practices. And one of my goals with the podcast is to help you get a solid defensive plan in place and then expose you to high achievers who can help you with the skills, the mindsets, and the systems to take your practice to the next level. While you can only cut your expenses to a limited amount, I would say your upside is unlimited. 
And ultimately, I hope that you can get to a point in your career where you can really focus on delivering value, being creative, and looking for opportunities to expand yourself and your business and reaping the associated financial rewards. So I'd encourage you to check out this great article at whitecoatinvestor.com. And now a quick word from one of our sponsors. This episode of the Elevate Orthodontics podcast is sponsored by EZRX. EZRX is a universal lab prescription and 3D software that was developed to help practices and labs better manage the entire lab prescription process. The core features of EZRX include the ability to write patient lab prescriptions using the EZRX universal lab prescription form, submission of prescriptions to in-house and commercial labs, management of lab prescriptions using features like the prescription dashboard, desktop notifications, and the EZRX daily digest email, and the ability to attach, manage, and edit digital files, including STL files. Also check out EZRX3D, which is the easiest and fastest 3D basing software available today to create 3D print-ready STL files. EZRX3D will optimize your STL file, trim, base, and add labels to models like patient name, date, or even a liner number, and will save these files for easy 3D printing. To learn more, visit EZRXOrtho.com. All right. On the podcast today, we have Dr. Kervin Mack, who's a good friend of mine. I'm excited to have him on the show and be able to ask him some questions in a little bit different format than the kind of more casual conversations I've had with him in the past. Let me tell you a little bit about Kervin. He graduated from Florida Agricultural and Mechanical University with a Doctor of Pharmacy degree before attending the Harvard School of Dental Medicine, and eventually completing a master's degree and specialty certificate in orthodontics at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. Dr. Mack was a speaker at the most recent MKS forum, and his new office build-out was featured in Orthodontics Products Magazine. Kervin practices in Burlington and Hillsborough, North Carolina. He's married to Dahlia, his study partner from pharmacy school, and they are the proud parents of a son, KJ. Kervin is a fitness enthusiast and has a special interest in photography. Dr. Mack, welcome to the Elevate Orthodontics podcast. Thanks so much. Glad to be here. I'm so happy to have you on the show. It's You've been on my mind as, as someone who I wanted to come on the podcast. For those people who may not know who you are, tell our audience a little bit about your background growing up and before becoming an orthodontist, what you were doing. I'm originally mostly from Colorado Springs, but my family's from eastern North Carolina. My dad was military, so I lived in uh, several different places. But I would say the majority of my growing up time was in Colorado Springs. Uh, and then I actually went to pharmacy school for undergraduate at Florida A&M University. Finished there uh, and actually practiced as a pharmacist for approximately six weeks. And during that time that I was in my last year of pharmacy school, I applied to dental school and got into Harvard and went with one of my best friends who was also the best man at our wedding. And he was also one of our classmates in pharmacy school. So we both went to Harvard. We were study partners there. And then I ended up at UNC, which was my dream location for orthodontic training. I did my orthodontic training and graduated and started practice as an associate. And I associated for about 20 months and then had the opportunity to purchase my own practice. Just been very busy since then, working as being a practice owner. Sure. So I've talked with you before, and I know you're, on the one hand, kind of proud of being a pharmacist and then having that in your background. But what attracted you to dentistry or orthodontics? How did you decide to make that course correction? 
So I actually started out college uh, bio pre-med and I, I had changed to pharmacy because I intended to basically use that as kind of a backup plan. So let's say I finished four years of undergrad and I was tired of school. I didn't know what I would be able to do with biology degree. So I changed to pharmacy knowing that it was only an extra two years and I could practice or I could still go to medical school. And I actually lost interest in medicine. And one summer I was in my general dentist office, Dr. Clara Tao in Colorado Springs. I had always admired her and thought that she had a really great relationship with her patients. And I just asked her, is this something that you really like doing? Is this a great career? She said, oh, it's awesome. You should come shadow me. So I just came in and shadowed her and decided on dentistry. And so then I thought I was going to do pedo because that was really the only specialty I'd interacted with before. I really liked kids. And then my first pedo patient in dental school taught me that I did not want to do pedo. <laughs> so even though I liked kids, uh, I didn't necessarily want to do what a pediatric dentist has to do. So I thought maybe I'd, I'd like them a little bit older and I'd like to do maybe different procedures with them, uh, but I still wanted to be able to develop longitudinal relationships. And so that's what brought me to ortho. Sure, sure. You know, you and I were working for the same orthodontist at the same time, Dr. Larry Murray, uh, in the Raleigh, North Carolina area. And I think about the same time we both decided to purchase a practice and to, to do that. What made you want to go out and, and buy a practice? Was that something that was always on your mind? I always wanted to purchase a practice. I, I only gave cursory thought to doing a startup. But when I, I graduated and I, I, the opportunities to purchase a practice weren't there, that's when I, I went into an associateship. The whole idea was that I, I really wanted to be my own boss. I wanted to be able to make decisions about, you know, if I want to use this appliance, then it's only my decision whether I want to use this appliance. I don't have to clear it with anybody else. And I wanted to feel like I could treat patients the way that I wanted to treat them as far as the clinical treatment and as well as the customer service and not have to clear that with anybody. So that was that was always my goal. You know, I feel the same way. And being a practice owner, I think, just affords you so many opportunities to work on these kind of pet projects and have that relationship that you want with patients. You know, it's something definitely that, that I've tried to encourage here with the podcast. And I think it's something that's good for the future of our specialty when doctors are owners of their practice. That's, to me, I, I think a great way to practice. Well, I mean, it's, it's really the definition of being invested. So you're invested in all the outcomes for the patients. Uh, you're invested financially, and you know that you kind of live or die with the brand that you build and the reputation that you build. So let's dive into this a little bit. You spoke at the most recent MKS meeting about some of the challenges you faced when you purchased a practice, specifically related to you know, employees. And, and that's something that's always a big kind of adjustment when you're going in and you have to be the owner of a practice. On, on a scale of 1 to 10, how, how prepared were you to deal with being the boss or, or being the employer for uh, a group of diverse personalities? Uh, I would say a 2. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, even though we had some great practice management exposure at the University of North Carolina, I, I felt like I, I was not ready at all. And I was faced in the very first few days of being a practice owner with some very interesting challenges that I, I don't know that I feel comfortable sharing the exact details. In, but I, I was faced with some challenges that I, I 
I had absolutely no preparation for whatsoever. And immediately I was having to look up the legality of certain things and, you know, how to proceed from there. And so it, it really is something that you, you never know what you're going to get. So aside from employee issues, I mean, obviously you're coming in, you're the new guy, there's patients to deal with, there's referring dentists, there's people in the community that are perhaps used to the previous owner. What were the things that you felt like were important to do or that helped you gain the trust of those different constituencies? Right. That, that was actually really pretty challenging. I felt like there were several complications in there. One being that, you know, I was taking over for the older, experienced orthodontist and I'm a young African American orthodontist in kind of a new area and nobody knows me. So I felt like I was overcoming some barriers. And one thing that was really important was to try to treat every patient as if they were my own child or they were my sister or my mother and to deliver the absolute best clinical care that I could as well as taking care of that person emotionally and mentally and creating an environment where they felt comfortable. There were several cases early on where I had a a patient's grandmother come up and say, well, I I only want my grandchildren to see Dr. Senior. At that point in time, Dr. Senior was only working a few days a week and actually pairing back on that. And I was taking on the bulk of the clinical load and I said, well, that's that's not really possible for you to only see Dr. Senior because we can't tell you exactly when he's going to be here and when he's not going to be here. And so some of those cases you're going to be able to win over and develop a really strong relationship with those patients and families. And some of them you're not. And I actually recently found out that that specific family that I thought I had really won over, and I always kind of been over backwards for that, that family, I found out that one of those patients actually kind of wrote a, a bad review for me on Facebook, not directly on my page, but somebody was seeking a recommendation for orthodontists. A lot of people jumped in and said, hey, Dr. Mac, Dr. Mac, Dr. Mac is great. And this patient who I had really been over backward for and worked really hard for said, I I didn't like the way he treated me. And that for me was very shocking because I had I had really made an incredible effort with that family. So you can't win all of them, you know, but you try to go out there and you do your best with everybody. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. There's certainly this transition time and I experienced it as well when I bought my practice. You come into a situation where there is all this buy-in for the senior doctor, and I think we put it on ourselves that we can come in and that we can win over every single one of these patients. But if we had owned the practice and we had done the consults on these, some of these patients wouldn't have liked us and they wouldn't have started with us to begin with. As much as I want to please everyone, there's no way that I can. And so we kind of get into this interesting time where these people haven't chosen you. But the good news is, is I think that certainly in your case, I know the vast majority of patients are thrilled to be working with you. And certainly as you go forward and as you perhaps get rid of those people that maybe aren't a perfect fit, that momentum really builds in your practice. And that's kind of what I've seen from the outside has happened with your practice. Oh, yeah, man. Once, once the, I think momentum is really a, a very key word. And that was something that I really got a lot from uh, Dr. Neil Kravitz uh, is momentum, momentum, momentum. Just keep winning and moving forward. And as I kept kind of winning each little challenge uh, and moving forward, 
momentum started to grow. And eventually I feel like it reaches a critical mass where you start to really get patients referring patients, patients referring their family members and start getting more and more of a percentage of your patient base coming directly from other patients. And that's a really great feeling when you've got a great family in your practice that you know thinks a lot of you and they send somebody over to you. It actually takes a lot more confidence in somebody to refer your friend than it does to refer yourself. So that's true. I could walk in somewhere and be like, this is a good place for me, but I have to really feel like it's an awesome place for me to send my parents or my friend, because I know that whatever happens to that patient, they're going to feel like, well, Kervin sent me over there. So it really needs to be kind of a high standard. You have to have a higher standard for referring your friends and family. Yeah, I'm glad you brought up, you know, visiting Dr. Kravitz's office because I was thinking about that in in preparation for this interview that you and I actually were there on the same day. I think it was a little over three years ago and we had the same flight back to North Carolina. It was my mom's 60th birthday. So you were going back home and I was going to visit my mom and we were sitting in a Panera kind of just waiting for our flight and I asked you what your takeaway was from the day and I think you said something like, I've learned that I need to set my expectations higher for myself and for my team or, or something like that. Uh, do you remember that? I do, actually. And um, I thought it was a Chipotle. Maybe maybe you're right. I'm 90% sure it's a Chipotle. <laughs> but yeah, because um, it, it was several hours, I think, where our flight left. Yeah. So we talked quite a while there. But that visit really kind of put things in perspective for me that it was really about getting my mind in the right place. And once I could get my mind in the right place, it really helped me grow a lot. Yeah, yeah. What are the ways that you think your mindset has changed, you know, in in the last three years? Are you a goal setter or is it defining your vision? What do you think has actually changed in your mindset? Uh, Well, one thing I think that changed a lot was just kind of understanding how insurance worked and deciding and realizing what I was willing to accept and what I wasn't. And what what I would consider a uh, quote unquote win in my office, and what I wouldn't consider a win, and then kind of realizing that you know there's so many more ways to be not only happy and healthy in your practice life, but also profitable in your practice life than a lot of what I had been told or heard before. Right. So specifically, what changes do you feel like you made? So I almost immediately went back and reevaluated which insurances I was in network with. And I actually added to the network. One example was that in my town where I practiced, there's a total of three orthodontists. And none of us were taking the main insurance that is with the largest employer in town, which is the school district. Um, and I, I said, well, this is ridiculous. If I accept Medicaid, for example, and I'm taking a certain amount to treat really hard cases, why not take several hundred dollars more or a thousand dollars more treat cases that might be a little bit easier? So I definitely reevaluated that Yeah. or not really understanding how volume can impact your overhead and not really understanding that overhead is not something that's charged out on a case-by-case basis. Each case doesn't cost you X amount of dollars start, you know, the more cases start the lower that dollar amount is because your fixed costs are fixed. It's only your variable costs that get charged with you. 
Yeah, it, it's funny because if you ask people, I think they conceptually understand it. But you know, when it comes time to making a decision, perhaps it's not reflected. And I think those two principles that you bring up, the concept of what is our marginal cost or by extension, our marginal profitability on a case, and you combine that with having momentum in your office, and you can see that's where some of these very, very successful practices are able to really thrive is the fact that, you know, on the margin, the profitability is so ginormous. And at the same time, they've got this momentum that's rolling things forward. And, you know, it can really snowball into some pretty spectacular success. Yeah. And and the funny thing to think about also for me is that profitability, not every case has to be profitable. It would be nice. But one thing that really sticks in my mind is there's a, a local roofing company. I can't remember their name right now that has a commercial that comes on the radio all the time. And they say, we will always do good work. At a profit if we can, at a loss if we must, but always good work. And so that's something that really sticks in my head. And sometimes I just end up eating a, a tremendous loss on a case or two. But if it makes lets me make a, a big difference in the outcome, then I'll do it. Yeah. Yeah, that's a great quote. I love that. I think of that almost every day, actually. <laughs> that's a really good one. I'm going to have to write that one down here. So we talked a little bit about visiting Neil Kravitz's office. I'm curious if you've been able to capitalize on on mentors or if there have been other people that have been role models or friends in, in helping move your practice forward as you've transitioned from where you were to kind of a little bit more where you are today. So I've really gotten a lot, several of the orthodontic Facebook groups uh, and relationships I've developed there. The person that I've interacted the most with directly is probably Neil Kravitz. But honestly, I got a lot from Ben Burris as well. Yeah. I, I think that my kind of understanding on overhead, fixed costs, variable costs, that kind of thing, really a lot of that changed just starting to reevaluate how do we consider the profitability of our business, how much to invest in certain things. Is it really a good idea for me to invest in this 3D scanner? Is it something that actually makes my business more profitable or more useful? Or is it a toy that I want to have? And so kind of really thinking through that thought process before I make an investment. And sometimes I still will invest in something that's a toy. But other times I'll say, you know, this is, doesn't really make good business. Let's switch gears a little bit. I want to talk a little bit about branding or creating an identity for your practice. And I think you have one of the best logos in all of Orthodox. I, I love it. I love that you use the color brown, which sometimes is like gets a bad rap in marketing, but it looks so good in your logo. And I've really noticed that your branding seems to be consistent across all different types of media. Why is this such a big focus for you? Well, um, the first time I went and branded the practice, I co-branded it with uh, Dr. Senior because I thought that I really needed to be able to use his name to be able to benefit the goodwill. And I used 99design the first time I followed though. And I came up with something that I was like, oh man, I'm so excited about this. It's like a flower and it's sun. Uh, it's got braces going around in a circle. This is amazing. And so then probably after about three or four months and interacting with people on Facebook, and I noticed that, wow, that person has a very similar logo. Oh, that person also has a similar logo. I found three or four, maybe five logos that were very similar to mine. When I rebranded just with my own name, I went back to the drawing board and I actually hired a local marketing team. We sat down and talked about what my goals were with my logo. And I said, for example, I want 
something that I can use just as a symbol that either with tagline, without a tagline, with the name of the practice, without a name of the practice, I want something that can be kind of recognizable, kind of like the when Prince rebranded and just became a symbol. <laughs> so that was kind of the thing that I had in my mind. I said I wanted it to be classy, but I, I wanted it to appeal to women of the age that would have children of orthodontic age. And so these were all things that were part of my thought process. And we talked it through, came up with some prototypes through this one jumped out at me. So then once we had that, that was something that I wanted to be able to distill down. And I wanted it to be simple and I wanted the colors to be appealing. So when we built my new office in Hillsboro, I used Kate Bauer Design. and She did a fantastic job. And we really went through and actually used that logo to build the office. So we built the office basically around the logo. The lines are, are very clean, uh, like the lines in the logo. The colors are completely throughout the office. We really used that in our, our folders and in online marketing. So that was something that was really important. Yeah, yeah, it's great. And I think when I had the opportunity to come and, and check out your office, I mean, it, it all just really comes together and it feels, I mean, you, you see your stuff online, you see in person, you see the print. I think that that cohesiveness, there's something to that. I mean, I think these marketing people aren't just making this up. That consistency makes patients, I think, feel comfortable with the process and, and that polish makes them feel like, oh, someone's taken the time to really put this together for us. Yeah, and I think that's really important for people to see that the products or anything that you really put out to face the public is something that you've given some thought to. You don't want to have anything that looks thrown together that doesn't look professional. So that's something that I've worked really hard on. What other things have you done to market your practice, to drive patients through the doors of your office, things uh, in the community, or you know what's been successful for you? Uh, so one thing that I really focus on is supporting causes that are important to me. So, for example, I've known many people that have been affected by breast cancer. So during Breast Cancer Awareness Month, we donate a certain amount for each orthodontic case that gets started. So whatever is something that's really important. So last year, for example, we did some hurricane-related stuff. I really want to be involved in the local community. And one thing that's been really, really important to me, especially for the last three years or so, has been fitness and physical activity. And so we sponsor races. I sponsor a lap program at one of the local elementary schools where the kids run laps during recess. And if they reach a certain number of laps as a whole school, they get a big party at the end of the year. And I sponsor that whole program. We've all got t-shirts that have my logo exclusively on it. They signed it at, at their sixth grade or fifth grade graduation. They all sign each other's t-shirts. And these are t-shirts that they keep after years. So really finding causes that are important to you. I don't know if sponsoring a race is really a big return on my investment, but it's really something that goes along with the message and brand of my practice. So whether it's a good financial return on investment, for me, it's a good emotional return. And this fitness thing, you really seem to have embraced this. And I know in some of our online groups, you've kind of turned into a big cheerleader for people taking charge of their health and fitness. What's kind of your goal there or you know, what's been so rewarding about that for you? It actually started in 2015 when my staff decided to have a Biggest Loser competition at work. I said, well, 
I, I want to participate. And said, you can't participate. You're a man. You guys lose weight too fast. <laughs> and I said, well, I'll sponsor the prize, even though I won't uh, allow myself to win the prize. But I really want to participate. Because at that point in time, I'd actually gotten up to my heaviest adult weight. I saw a video of myself at a water park with my son. And I just, I think I was depressed, actually. I, I was very sluggish. And I just didn't feel good. I didn't feel good about myself. I didn't realize that I didn't feel good about um, and I used to run when I was younger and I had kind of put that to the side and grown very sedentary for probably two or three years. So we started with the biggest loser competition and, and I said, okay, I'm going to start running again. So I started back running and I actually had one of my patients, uh, who's a teenager that her name is Sarah and we developed a pretty good relationship. And she said she was going to run a half marathon. I had never run that distance, but I said, okay, I'm going to run the half marathon with you. Funny thing that happened was her dad ended up putting the kibosh on her running the half, but that was my first half marathon. So I ran that. After that, it was kind of history. So I started running on a more regular basis, done eight half marathons, four full marathons now. I just did my first triathlon. And it's so funny that we're having this conversation today because if you saw when I, um, I posted on the uh, hashtag ortho health tribe, Facebook group. I'm actually at my lowest adult body weight ever today. <laughs> um, so that was my, my weigh in this morning and I was 0.2 pounds lighter than I've ever been. That's so, awesome. Um, the other thing about it was that, you know, I've got a family history of high blood pressure, hypercholesterolemia, and I actually got my first high blood pressure reading when I was in high school. I went in for a regular appointment and I had a blood pressure as 156 over 112. Um, so that's something that I've kind of battled with my whole life and it's familial. And so finally I said, you know, I really want to take charge of this, do everything that I can to have control over this without any medication. And it's still a battle, but most of the time now, if I take my blood pressure, I'm in the normal way. And so a big part of it was just weight loss and getting really uh, active and consistent. Dr. Jacob Koch was actually a big advisor for me on that. Yeah, yeah. And me too. And that's something I, I, I think last year, was it last year we had the going where we were consistently doing it? Or maybe it was two years ago. And then I kind of fell off. I got a sinus infection. But this year I'm going strong. I think I'm on day 115-ish of consecutive, you know, working out every single day, trying to keep the streak alive. One of those days was with you uh, in, in Hillsboro. Of course, I also ate three donuts, I think, today. So uh, I got to get the <laughs> diet part figured out. Yeah, the diet's a struggle for me too, but I'm on day 315. That's amazing. That's so 315 cool. days of at least 15 minutes of exercise every single day. And if you go back there, I did miss one day back in May of last year, but if you skip that one, then I'm at about 470 days, 480 days. Let's kind of wrap up with this here, Kervin. You know, last time I talked with you, we had an interesting conversation about orthodontics compensation and the fact that, you know, many doctors have an income that's much higher than is needed to support their family or their desired lifestyle. And you shared some thoughts with me on, on some perspectives you had about that and, and how that allows you to relate with your employees, with your community. And maybe you could share some of that with our listeners. I'd be happy to do that. So I've always been curious. And I feel like uh, when you watch the news and pay attention to statistics, 
the average compensation of CEOs is greatly, greatly outpacing that of employees as far as the growth is concerned. And so one thing that I've seen quite frequently in different orthodontic forums is, uh, no, I don't have a retirement plan for staff or, you know, no, I don't do health insurance for staff. And that's something that has, has been really important to me to be able to try to provide that for my employees. And so, yes, I know that there would be less expensive ways for me to invest in my own retirement, but I don't, I don't want to be the doctor who works until I'm 60 and then retires and rides off into the sunset. And then my employees have to work until they're 150. Obviously, everybody's got to make their own decisions as far as how they invest their money. But I think it's important for me and my practice, as long as I'm able to, to be able to contribute on behalf of my employees towards a retirement. And I'm also really, really proud of the fact that every single employee in my practice who is eligible for our retirement plan also contributes some of their own money. They're not required to, but they've all chosen to. And that's something that I feel really proud of, excited about, watching the way that they're investing in themselves. And I love being able to support that. I think that's so great that you, you know, do that with, with retirement, with health insurance. And I know that could be, you know, health insurance is an area where it can just be a huge kind of mental block to almost get over. But I think your attitude of saying, look, you know, there's more to this than just the dollars and cents. There's the type of person I want to be and the type of relationship I want to have with, with them. And, and you feel like you can afford to do it. And I think that's awesome. Yeah. And I always want to, as long as I'm able to, that's something that I want to do. Now, hey, if something changes in orthodontics or business or whatever, I mean, all options are on the table. But that's something that's really important to me. And I, I would like to make sure that that's something that I'm, I continue to provide as long as I'm able. Well, Kervin, we're going to wrap things up here with our Elevate Express 8. I'll give you eight quick questions and get some quick answers. How's that sound? Okay, cool. What's your go-to treatment for full-step class twos? Herbst. What is your standard retention protocol? Uh, usually bonded upper and lower with the Essex. Okay, and how do you do the bonded? Uh, I usually uh, fabricate it on the spot with a twisted gold ligature wire. Who are your role models or mentors? Uh, my parents, Neil Kravitz, Ben Burris, and Lord Jesus Christ. That's a pretty good list. What is your favorite orthodontic product or instrument? Ooh. Something you wouldn't want to practice without. Um, honestly, probably my Itero scanner. Yeah, they, they, they're addictive, aren't they? Yep. Love it. What's the best vacation you've ever taken? Uh, this past New Year's Eve, we actually uh, went to New York to watch the ball drop. And we actually got a hotel that was right in the middle of Times Square. We look right out of our window and see the ball drop from the window. Amazing. Plus, it was like five degrees outside, so... Yeah, so I was going to say, so you were inside watching the cold people out there, uh, watching from the comfort of your room. That's the way to do it. It was awesome. What's one great book that you've read recently? Uh, I just finished Ready Player One, uh, which is going to be a movie that comes out in the next few weeks, I think. But great book. Loved it. I mean, obviously, it's not a business book, but I, I like the entertainment. Cool. I'll have to check that one out here. What bracket system are you currently using? Uh, I am using a GAC Mini Twin. Oh, I'm sorry, uh, MBT. MBT, awesome. Yep. 
And what's one area of orthodontics that you would like to learn more about in 2018? Gosh, everything. I, I, I always feel like, you know, every day that I look at my work, some days I'm like, man, I'm doing pretty good. And other days I'm like, gosh, there's so much to learn. So I, I feel like I can't really pinpoint any one thing. Um, there's just so much to improve on all the time. I just want to be better than I was the day before. Well, that sounds great. So, Kervin, this has been fantastic. I really appreciate you taking the time to come on the podcast. Everyone should go check out Kervin. His website, is it, is it macortho.com? Yep. Macortho.com. You can find him in all of the ortho Facebook groups. Kervin, thank you so much. This has been a blast. Thank you so much. Have a good one, Lance. All right, guys. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the podcast. It'd mean a lot to me if you could take a minute and go to iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe to our show. That'll make sure that it's easy for other people to find us and also make sure that you don't miss any of our great upcoming episodes. I want to give a special thanks to Dr. Kervin Mack for coming on the show today. He did a great job sharing his thoughts and experiences. Also, a thanks to today's sponsor, EasyRx. Go check them out at EasyRxOrtho.com. Have a great week. We'll talk to you again soon. Thank you for listening to the Elevate Orthodontics podcast. For more episodes, subscribe on iTunes or visit our website at ElevateOrthoPodcast.com. Tune in next week for another great episode.